Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Barbara Tahuti Wesley Gray, speaking to you live from New York City, Tuesday evening, the 6th of May, 2014, at 9 p.m. on your dial. This is Grassroots Holistic Health Talk Radio. And as always, before I go further, we begin by paying homage and tribute to the one most high God, to our ancestors, and to my family, my lovely wife, and my, my mother, and my children, my daughter and her family, and my godsons and their families, and all of my um, uh, nieces and nephews and, and relatives throughout the cyber world and in the social network community, I send all of you love and blessings. Namaste. So... This evening, we continue with reviewing the book titled, The Healing Wisdom of Africa, Finding Life's Purpose Through Nature, Rituals, and Community. The book was authored by Dr. Maladomi Patrice Somme, and for those of you who are not familiar with uh, Dr. Somme, he is from Bukuna Faso, which is formerly known as Upper Valta in West Africa. Maladoma in his native language means to be friends with the stranger. And with him being a gifted, initiated diviner and medicine man and shaman of the Dagara tribe, he holds three master's degrees and two doctorates from the Soburn and Brandes. His book of Water and the Spirit, Ritual, Magic, and Initiation in the Life of an African Shaman is treasured around the world and Maladoma conducts intensive workshops uh, throughout the continent of Africa, in California, and European countries throughout the year. Maladoma uh, 
shares with us a fascinating detailed journey through the traditional healing practices of the Dagara people of West Africa. With him being a shaman and a scholar, Maladoma Patrice Chaume introduces Western readers to the rituals that breathe meaning into the daily lives of African seekers. His journey is a shimmering missing piece in the story of the earth, says Alice Walker, who proclaimed that Maladoma's work and his previous works, the Maladoma takes readers on a tour of the two worlds as he's related his story of his youth in the African village and his education in the Western and traditional African ways. And in healing, The Healing Wisdom of Africa, Maladoma writes specifically of the, the uh, generations-old tradition of knowledge of his people, the Dagara, who are known throughout West Africa for their healing abilities and also the spirit, uh, spiritual practices. Maladoma also explains how the Dagara accommodate firsthand knowledge of the deep spiritualist and healing powers and shows how the most important aspects of the village, and that's life that revolves around ritual, community, and healing that ritual brings. And in addition, he teaches ceremony and rituals so that the Western readers may begin the healing and initiation process, discovering as a result the genius and the gifts within themselves and finding life's true purpose. In the larger scheme of creating community, the author also describes the power of gathering and of engaging in traditional rituals of fire, that being fire, earth, water, mineral, and nature. He explores how simple stones from the ground can be understood to retain the memory of generations and how charitable giving can infuse a foreign journey with richness and protection, and how homage to the earth around us adds depth and thankfulness to our daily life. I, I must just uh, share some thoughts that I had as I was preparing for this evening's show, and that is one of the fact that we have a uh, a crisis in, uh, in, a, in a country in Africa, Nigeria specifically, where there were more than 200 young girls taken from their homes by a group of, of uh, men primarily uh, labeled as being terrorists and whatever the politics is and whatever it is that in, in, invokes the energy and, and the action of people within various communities to take other human beings and captives and um, one of the reasons is because they didn't want the girls uh, to go to school. They're, uh, I think you might call very fundamental, uh, orthodox uh, people who are practicing the faith of Islam, and their interpretation of that practice is that um, a woman should not be educated. And, of course, I'm not an advocate of that particular uh, uh, policy and and philosophy. So I've been in deep prayer that these girls would be found, safely found, and returned back to their families, to their parents, and to be able to pursue their life's purpose. But what the thought that came to me was that I remember um, reading some many years ago, 20 years or so plus years, where the student of a guru 
of his seer master asked him, why are there wars? You know, why, are people, why do people kill each other? And why do you have wars? And the teacher, the seer and mentor, questioned the young boy and said, well, have you ever had thoughts of, um, of evil thoughts of, of getting even with someone or ex exercising some type of retribution to someone who has done you wrong? And just in thought, if not words, and of course not in action. And the young boy says, yes, master, hasn't everyone? And with that response, the master said, aha. He says, until you get to the point that you can be in a state of forgiveness and also in a state, as I realize now, moving forward with the thought of not taking things personal and not let yourself be pulled into the negative energy and lower self-orientation and, and frequency and vibration of the one who is trying to attack you verbally or psychically, until you get over that, then you will be part and parcel of any wars that were fought in the past, any wars that will have been uh, that have fought presently, and any wars that will be fought in the future. So as we pray for the safe return of our daughters to their villages, to their family, to their parents, we have to bear in mind that one of the main reasons why we're on this earth school and this incarnation is because of, the, of karmic reasons, because we have to work out certain negative karma. We have to learn lessons to heal our splintered souls. And in doing so with ourselves and then with each other in our immediate circle of influence, our family, our mothers, our, our parents, our siblings, and indeed our spouse and our children and other relatives, until we are able to not argue if not, not argue, at least if we do argue, to be able to resolve those differences in a amicable and humane and intelligent, mature manner, then we are part and parcel of all the craziness and dysfunction that happens all over the world. Because it just takes one, and then of course exponentially, as this consciousness is shared, exponentially it uh, gravitates to other minds, other spirits, other souls, to the point that indeed eventually we can get to a point that we're having more love in the body of humankind as opposed to hate. So it also brings me to mind where I, I happened to turn on and was uh, channeling, well, I'm sorry, turning the channel on TV in one morning, and I happened to just stop on with Wendy Williams. She was interviewing someone of interest. I forget the person. And she was actually uh, uh, talking about Prince and how she and her husband was invited by Prince to come to a club. And I no longer go to clubs, per se. I used to be a, a jazz musician that played professionally at various jazz clubs and other venues where they would want to hire us, if not for a wedding reception or a party or some type of gathering where they would like to have had jazz performed. The point I'm making, though, is that they went to this club, and Wendy is, it seems, I found out that she is a, a fanatical, uh, well, she's a fan of uh, Prince, 
on the base on the level of being a, a fanatic, as it were. You know, she's a devotee of him for all intents and purposes. So Prince comes into their 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 space as they're waiting for them, and and as he approaches Wendy and her husband, he shakes hands and gives Wendy a hug, I guess, and and the story that Wendy tells is that her husband stood up. And as he engaged in conversation, he started using the MF word. And no longer, no sooner than he got that out of his mouth, Prince said, no, 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 no. He stopped him in his tracks. And he says, we will not have that here. And he told him in so many you know, in certain terms that, no, cursing is not tolerated by him. And she, when he said her husband regained his composure, his composure, and sat down, and they had a a conversation with him for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then, of course, the rest of the story is not relevant to the point that I'm attempting to make. I just heard today that um, Prince was interviewed, and he, um, mind you, the story I heard from Wendy goes back a couple of months ago. And just today I heard that Prince was asked uh, about his recordings and and somehow, this is on Facebook, I believe, and he said that uh, his recordings and, and, and that he himself does not curse anymore. And he says that he re recognized that he had to uh, not continue writing songs that uh, were misogynistic and degrading towards women, or if not just sexually in content, that uh, dealt with language that wasn't appropriate. And he said that if you cannot use the language that you would use to speak to your mother or your grandmother or any elder in your family, and that um, if you didn't use this language to speak to someone who had a title of being a, a healer or a priest, that you shouldn't use this, this language. You shouldn't curse. And he says that we should talk to, especially our women, and each other as if they're royalty. So that's the beginning of us being able to at least especially here in the West Coast, in the Western Hemisphere, rather, here in the United States and other Western countries in the Western Hemisphere, we have to understand that um, what we think and then what we say and what we do, there's a, con a continuum, uh, there's a connection with all of those levels of energy from thought to word to action that contributes to the broad energy, uh, the, 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 the spectrum of energy that travels around the world for that matter. So if we're not respecting ourselves on whatever level it may be, if we're not respecting each other in our immediate family, circle of friends, circle of influence, 100% making that effort, 100%. It can't be, well, yeah, man, we're just kicking it. You know, and, and I have uh, so-called friends, they're more so associates, and that might be stretching the word, I mean the term, and they're on social networks like Facebook, and uh, they might not be cursing, but they will share a posting or, or a post that, that has cursing in it. We have lately the WTF uh, uh, abbreviation and, and other uh, abbreviations. And then, of course, someone that's used the full word, the F word, the B word, 
the S word. And they use it because they think it's apropos because they're not saying it, but it's in print. Or they, they're saying it in, in so many words, we're just keeping it real. And this happens a lot in sports, uh, within in sports dialogue, within the music and entertainment dialogue, and on and on. So I just thought that I would share these thoughts with you at the beginning of this show so that it would be an introduction into the topic of this evening, which is about uh, elders. Uh, indeed, elders within the community and the duties of elders, addressing wrongdoing, and then elders, rituals, and shrines, and then elders in the West. So with that being said, I, I definitely would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that my wife just walked into the studio. And how are you doing, honey? I'm doing great. I enjoy your program. <laughs> and um, I couldn't help but think when you were just speaking about cursing, about how cursing has become acceptable in mainstream. And as elders, I believe it's our responsibility to do whatever we can do to neutralize it. Because as you know, we, we see on mainstream television, I remember when I was growing up, you, you wouldn't hear any type of curse word on any television program. And now it's accepted, especially on, well, definitely on the sitcoms, but just in general on the talk shows anywhere, and I, I know you mentioned just now, it's, you know, people feel that it's keeping it real, but is that really keeping it real, or is that just um, promoting a culture that many people really don't ascribe to? Mm-hmm. So as elders, it is our responsibility to do what we can do to neutralize it. I what comes to mind is a posting that I see frequently on social networks. So many people post this um, poster that the words say, be the change that you want to see in the world. Yes, yes. I you like see it that. all over the place, yes. right? Yes. And uh, that applies to, the, to um, your introduction, which is segueing into the responsibilities of elders, because if the... Uh, succeeding generations don't do what's necessary for the frequency of energy on this planet to be raised to a higher frequency. It's up to the elders, because at some point we'll be gone. We'll make our transition. absolutely. And we're going to go. So we, we need to leave something so that the succeeding generations have something to hold on to. Absolutely. I'm so happy you shared that. I mean, we couldn't have said it better. Uh, we need to do our job now ASAP because we don't know. I could be gone by tomorrow. And I'm so happy I'm able to do the show this evening, you know, to, to share these, these thoughts. And that's the, the, the thing that makes it so good about this technology. I have some friends of mine and associates who uh, are not advocates of social uh, networks and social media, even cell phones. And well, one person was saying, 
no, I, I'm not into computers because this and that. The government. Right, the government. The government will yeah, they're going to spy on you. Spy. And here you see he's answering the smartphone. Anyway. Yeah, he's answering a smartphone, yeah. and he has no idea that within this smart, smartphone there's a propensity that he has a GPS system. Right. <laughs> you know, and then of course from that you have clouds, and, and they're able to uh, take information from your phone without even knowing it and download it, you know. So, and by virtue of the fact that you have a social security number, you know, places you within the radar. Or a credit yeah. card. Or a credit card. You have any kind of, or and, even our bank cards now. And this individual owns a home. So you know if you own a home, and you have a mortgage, that actually has multiple homes. Well, then his you information know. is out there. He doesn't need to worry about his, his phone. He's <laughs> on the phone or the computer. He's, he's out there. He's out there. Yeah. You know, so... Indeed, even today there was a show, I don't remember, I, I, I just flipped on it, then I turned off, I was cooking, I guess, and they had, actually had a show that had a contest to see who could curse, how many words they could curse within a certain amount of time. Really? Yeah. And every time the person, the contest, these were celebrities, and every time they were cursed, they would blurt it out. But I guess you could tell what curse was. Oh, yeah. yeah. It just sounds so ridiculous. So the point I'm making, though, is that Whenever there's a war that's happening and you have the soldiers and the warriors engaging, that's those who are dealing with lower self, before they engage in war, they curse. Before they kill the person that they're about to kill, they, they curse. They try to make them to be as inhuman or non-human as possible, that they're not worthy of their respect. So we have to understand that energy, you know, there's a, 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 a philosophical, uh, 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 yes, a philosophical and more also a uh, physical dynamic that if you drop a, a pebble in, in the ocean, that that pebble can resonate throughout the whole world. If a, um, a, a tree falls in a forest, that it, that tree can be heard throughout all the woods and all the trees in, in the world since that tree falling. The flapping of a butterfly's uh, wing is all part and parcel of all the winds in the world. Because, you know, we're dealing with billions and billions and billions of, of flapping of wings, and that creates a certain amount of uh, uh, vibration, a certain amount of, of uh, not turbulence, okay. but movement. It's like a ripple effect. It's a ripple effect. So indeed, on a spiritual level, regardless of uh, how we worship our God, our deity, um, the Most High, if we call that the universe, we call that uh, uh, Dumari, Krishna, Jehovah, you know, um, Jesus, whatever we, we call our our spiritual leaders, as it were, all praises be upon them all, we have to understand that indeed uh, this energy dealing with, which is a manifestation of love, is the opposite of hate. And cursing has nothing to do with love. You might have the intention of it being applicable to love, but it, if, it, which may be depending on your perception and your um, your interpretation. But on a broad scale, 
cursing is relative to lower self-orientation. It's related to hate. It's related to dis-ease, as it were. So uh, just wanted, I think I covered, I took some notes, and I covered Prince and um, Wendy Williams. And, and also going back to, I was involved with a, uh, my wife actually was with me, and she took pictures at Bridge Street Church, which is around the corner from us. Uh, the original Bridge Street Church is downtown Brooklyn in the Metro Tech area. Uh, and the building that uh, the church used to be at uh, is owned now by NYU Polytech Institute. And it so happened that I frequent that area off and on, and I noticed that there was a plaque in front of the church which is now the administration building of Polytech in NYU. And uh, Reverend Dr. Herbert Humphrey, I mean Herbert Daughtry rather, um, organized and instituted a, a, um, a commemoration of the church. And there's a plaque that states pretty long, uh, about three, four paragraphs. But to, to, to make it short, I mean, to, to, that it was a, to make it a bridge in terms of the content, the Bridge Street Church is one of the first African Wesleyan Methodist Episcopalian churches. And I took, I gravitated to because of my name being Wesley, part of my name. So indeed, that's another conversation in terms of uh, the, uh, John Wesley, who was the founder of this African Wesleyan Methodist Episcopalian church. But what it stated though was that uh, when Abraham Lincoln signed the proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation, and I think that was in 1863, and January 1st, um, they uh, uh, celebrated the, um, the proclamation. And um, there were uh, abolitionists that frequented this church or that were members of the church, along with former slaves, and Harriet Tudman, uh, came there, was invited as a keynote speaker to commemorate the Emancipation Proclamation that was signed, and also Frederick Douglass was a keynote speaker. So uh, I became pretty excited about that, and then this fast forward, about uh, three years ago, I was invited to the, the Bridge Street Church um, that is no longer downtown, but it's in my neighborhood in Bedford-Stuyvesant. And a friend of, uh, of, uh, of mine invited me to the church to play for Kwanzaa ceremonies um, twice and, and another event it was a men's breakfast. But this invitation was for elders. It was uh, toward elders, men elders, uh, members of the church. And they asked me to come to play the African djembe drum. So I performed, and while I performed, a, um, a gentleman who was an usher, he uh, was from Senegal, from West Africa, and as I performed, he started dancing, and then before you know it, spirit um, got a hold of him, and it was just such a profound experience, to say the least. And... What I, I didn't speak then, but what I normally talk about is the fact that the, the drum 
was uh, shared with, with uh, an audience when we, my godson invited uh, Ozzie Davis to uh, at least the organizers of my son's school invited him to do uh, to be a keynote speaker for a fundraiser. And he spoke about the drum. He said, I'm not going to talk about Ozzy, about myself as Ozzy Davis and my wife, Ruby D, and our acting career and writing, being playwrights and screen, uh, screenwriters and so forth, but I want to talk about the drum. And what he mentioned then was that every person of African descent, every African home uh, throughout the African diaspora should have a drum and a designated drummer. And within that home, for any event from the birth of a child to the transition of an elder, that the drums should be played in ritual and, and celebration of those events, including weddings and birthdays. So that's something that I've been doing for quite a while in terms of promoting the drum as a drummer. And I have a website titled drumsofchange.com. That's drumsofchange.com. And on that site, there's a drum store where you can purchase drums for as little as $29, including shipping and handling. So I, I encourage all of you to visit my site and to spread the word through your circle of influence. And also the books that I review, such as The Healing Wisdom of Africa, I um, uh, ask you to please go to our my website, and to purchase any books, including this book, The Healing Wisdom of Africa. You can buy them at retail price. And then, of course, we also have used books, uh, which is priced as little as $1, uh, and, and then with additional shipping and handling costs. So with that being said, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that uh, I was able to remember to share with you these thoughts, as I mentioned earlier, about uh, being impeccable with your speech. That's another book, um, The Four Agreements by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, the Four Agreements being uh, being impeccable, impeccable with your speech, which means this cursing should be uh, part of that impeccable aspect of your speech. Uh, doing your best, don't make assumptions, and don't take anything personal. So again, that's impeccable speech, doing your best, not making assumptions, and not taking anything personal. I really recommend that book. It's the number one New York Times bestseller, best, uh, and um, it's definitely a book that you should have uh, in your library. So with that being said, uh, let's continue now uh, with, with elders in the West, uh, given the difference between indigenous and modern life, Maladoma goes in a state, how do we recognize an elder in the West? How does one become an elder? And how old are elders here? In the culture of the West now, it is easier for someone to become an elder to their grandchildren than to anyone else because a grandchild spontaneously listens to and respects the grandparent. But I would also venture to say that there is something of an elder in any person whose words are listened to and who commands respect and attention. One should not confuse such a person with an employer who forces respect simply because a paycheck is at risk. At a number of conferences and public events, I've had the chance to witness true Western elders. They might appear in the form of an old woman 
whose remarks are devoutly listened to in public, or an old man who commands natural respect because of his life experiences. I vividly remember the powerful impression of an elderly woman I met in Louisiana who headed a government project. Her look and demeanor reminded me of the female elders in my tribe. She carried her life experiences well and spoke with poise, beauty, and wisdom. She had nothing to prove, and hence her voice was never raised, but people listened. And then there was another man whose lifetime struggled with society, including several decades in and out of prison, uh, in and out of the prison system, made him an elder. His gravelly voice almost reminded me of a voice from the other world. And there was in it the qualities of an elder that command attention and respect. Elders also appear as people who have profoundly changed the lives of others through their teachings or writings. And in the best scenario, these teachings are able to help those who search for guidance and leadership in their lives. In the worst scenario, having become an author, they are charged into a lasting spiritual authority as well as a consumer product. In Socrates and Shakespeare, Hegel and uh, Kleckengard, and countless other Western deep thinkers, we see evidence of a form in which elderhood is cultivated and practiced in the absence of a village-like community. The Western elder is perhaps more visible as a wise thinker and holder or container of groundbreaking initiatives in human consciousness. Hence, poets, philosophers, teachers, artists, and even social activists are either practicing to become elders or have become elders altogether. Their legacy continues to affect people even as they have become, and I would say, ancestors. There is an elder in the making in everyone, but it is most visible in those who have the receptivity to listen to the stories of others the ability to listen, and the willingness to support others in difficult situations are the heart and soul of elderhood. Young people have many difficulties to report. Anyone who would want to become an elder should lend them a listening ear. In the life of the elder-to-be, there is very little good news. Everyone who solicits the service of an elder-to-be is looking for a container to unload some problems. And consequently, one can't become an elder who would prefer to hear only the better side of life. Similarly, anyone who attends to the sorrows of another person and does not feel overwhelmed or frightened is a person who nurses an elder within. To move toward the other world, to reach the kind of durability, stability, and anchoring strength associated with an elder, one must be able to face the worst storms of, of the weather of life. And this is an initiation that cures the consciousness of his addiction to immediate rewards and allows for a slow pace to reveal life's hidden pearls. And such a person grows into a man or a woman of resource, an elder. Above all, to be an elder is to be able to come down to the level of the person you listen to, not with the mind to tell that person what to do, and what not to do, but to share similar experiences you have had in the course of your own life. People who have reached a place where they are able to recognize that everyone has similar troubles has begun to heal. The elder 
does not turn the tragedy of another person into a horror story, but instead sees in the story of the other his or her connection with it. Fame is not necessarily synonymous with being an elder. Fame often means becoming a commodity. The person behind the fame may just be a child starving for love and attention, but people searching for guidance tend to make famous people elders or role models because they have achieved something that can be seen. Because the fluidity of information in the West, people are made mentors or elders without physical contact. The mentor and the elder are both in high demand. Both can be found in the same person, but not always. A mentor may need an elder, but an elder does not need a mentor. And in this culture, where the quest for both the elder and the mentor is almost epidemic, it is not surprising that a person able to mentor is made prematurely into an elder. I still remember, Maladoma says, the green shift in attitude towards me, the great shift, rather, in attitude towards me when I published my first book. People who, who prior to that would question, act suspiciously, or even reject what I had begun some suddenly to accept almost indiscriminately without anything from me. One problem with the authority that authorship confers is that it has something irreversible about it. This authority can suddenly turn a person into a mentor or an elder. It is as if in the Western context these roles arise as a result of an event in a person's life that brings that person to a certain level of visibility. Now he also goes and talk about elders, rituals, and shrines, and I will continue there uh, after we take a short break. like the acai berry that is called the wine of the Amazon and the Yerbamati tea, something like the green tea, that's called the beverage of the gods. And from the Brazilian rainforest, which is the national drink of four South American countries. This drink is designed to enhance whole body wellness, to bolster the immune system, to quickly increase energy, and to support weight management by boosting metabolism and controlling appetite and it assists in leveling one's blood sugar, just to mention a few of the benefits. Within minutes of drinking just one to two ounces, Chia Vida delivers a surge of smooth, sustained energy that lasts for hours, not minutes. Along with greater mental clarity and focus and a feeling of calmness and well-being, 
An energy surge without the sugar rush, without the jitters, and without the crash and burn or harmful side effects may many other products can produce. Chia Vida in, is an all-natural, delicious, functional health beverage that most people feel results from the very first time they try it, and subsequently, they want to drink it over and over again. Even though people consistently drink for the immediate benefits, the amazing thing is the longer someone drinks Chia Vida, the more improvement they notice in their overall health. For more information, please go to healthisalwayswealth.com. I repeat, that's healthisalwayswealth.com. Or you can call 888-338-2508. Again, that's 888-338-2508. In addition to tending to delicate emotional situations, elders lead communal and private rituals and also preside over interaction with the sacred. Because they are close to the other world and because they function as anchors for the village and the community, they have no difficulty overseeing the gateways of the other world and to the ancestors. And this means that the elder aims at becoming an ancestor It is his or her next status. So there is some sense in which we can say that the elder is an ancestor ancestor in training. The greatest responsibility of the elder is leading rituals. And among these rituals are those of birth and death. Elders become the newborn and elders welcome the newborn and say farewell to the deceased. Elders are guides for the newborn. They are the mirror through which the child can see his or her life on the human plane. Grandparents are essential to the healthy growth of of our children. The fact that parents played a necessary biological role in the coming of their child does not mean that their role as primary caretakers is guaranteed to continue. In the village, more often than not, this is where it ends and where the grandparents' effectiveness begins. As mentioned earlier, the grandparent and the grandchild share something essential, and that is their proximity to the ancestral world. The grandchild has just arrived from there, and the grandparent is heading in that direction. 
So obviously they have to communicate because they have this in common, and it becomes the focus of their relationship. The love of the grandparent for the grandchild is motivated by the fresh ancestral scent of the grandchild, something that the grandparent dreams about constantly. And similarly, the face of the grandparent is very familiar to the grandchild because it confirms to the grandchild that the world left behind is right here. This is why, among the Dagara, grandparents and grandchildren prefer to call each other brother and sister, indicating that they are almost of the same age group. In the West, where grandparents are often not present, this great resource might not be available. But perhaps the Dagaric way can provide an inspiration to grandparents who would like to be more connected to their grandchildren. Perhaps also it can encourage parents of young children to include people at the far end of life in their children's lives. Elders are also keepers of the shrines. A shrine is like an ancestral Camp David, an early ritual retreat for the ancestors. Its caretaker must, in most cases, be an elder or designated by an elder. It is assumed that at any given time, an ancestor is vacationing at the shrine, and consequently, all amenities must be available. This includes food, aromatic herbs, and fresh drinks. The fresh items are necessary to ensure the presence of the other world. A shrine is where one goes to enter into communication with the other world. It is the place of beauty and mystery and also the place of memory, because shrines have the power to remind us that in human life, we are at the threshold of another world. A shrine is the same as an altar in the home. Shrines always carry fresh offerings. Outdoor shrines in Africa are more rugged because of the constant visits by the animals of the wild. Every house must have a shrine. It is the center of the family's identity. At these shrines, the family maintains its ongoing relationship with the ancestors. And this is where gifts are offered and where prayers are formulated. Elders in the sacred. If people in the West embrace the idea that the elder is at the edge, because between two worlds, it is therefore a window of the other world as well as, well as a mirror of it, certain of the West's social problems would be solved. Again, let's repeat that. If people in the West embrace the idea that the elder is at the edge between two worlds and therefore a window to the other world as well as a mirror of it, certain of the West's social problems would be solved. And one of them is the rejection of aging and the elders, which puts the culture at risk. The other is the West's relationship to the sacred. There is no doubt that in Western culture, the fear of aging has become quite acute. People certainly have many reasons to think that old age is not something to look forward to, but in light of what has been said about elders in an in indigenous African context, one could explain Western fear of age as linked to a sense of uselessness. 
If in Western society people would find ways in their old age of spending their abundant time with their grandchildren, perhaps this would raise the appreciation of old age and pave the road for a more sacred approach to being old. For if to get old is to get close to the ancestors, then old means that which is closest to the sacred. If a culture rejects the sacred, it rejects elders. If it rejects elders, it rejects the welfare of its youth. You can't have the one without the other. It is understood in the village that youth and elders are the ones in society who see clearly what is happening. The young are at an age where the hidden is obvious to their eyes. They want to point it out because they do not know how to pretend it is not there. To be young or old in the modern world is to be at risk. People who wish to embrace their elderhood must first listen to the pain around them. They must notice in the young and the adult the parts that are craving visibility. We must learn how to sit quietly with our youth and to listen quietly to what they have to say. This is the job of the elders. This calm, almost meditative approach to youth can also be a model for self-calming to other people who are not troubled or too troubled to be quiet. Calmness is the beginning of the ability to hold the peace and the space, the beginning of an elder's contribution to the community. Well, that comes, we come to the end of that uh, chapter dealing with elder elders in the community and, and ritual and, and worship of the Most High and respect and honoring our ancestors. And tomorrow's, tomorrow evening's um, episode will be covering the aspect of understanding ritual, the elements of ritual, and also defining what is ritual. So I, I do thank all of you for listening. Indeed, uh, those of you who listen to the program through the archives, uh, please un be um, aware of the fact that I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Maladoma Somme uh, back in October of 2010. I forget the exact date. So you can go back to the archives and, and um, listen to a very fascinating and uh, heartwarming and uh, spiritual, spiritual, spiritated <laughs> uh, uh, conversation that we have with Maladoma, my wife and myself. I must also share the fact that uh, we were honored and privileged to have Maladoma as a house guest for about five days. Um, and that was quite an experience that he visited us and um, I will talk about that uh, tomorrow evening, as a matter of fact. I did have the, the opportunity to share with the listening audience a couple of nights ago uh, that experience. So I just, you know, would want to not be um, remiss in sharing that with, uh, with other uh, visitors to our program. Uh, quite an interesting man, uh, interesting brother. And he has embraced uh, and charged me with... Uh, uh, a purpose of promoting the drum 
throughout our African community, throughout the African diaspora, and also uh, has inspired me to do this show. And uh, I'm humbled, and, and to the best of my ability, I'm attempting to be a facilitator of, of truth and of love and of wisdom uh, as it's shared throughout the uh, motherland of Africa via people such as uh, our brother Manodoma Patrice Somme. Uh, I, I am an interfaith minister, and he has uh, deemed me as being a, a, a shaman in training. And, um, and, 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 of course, at 70 years of age, I'm an elder. So I, I'm also preparing to become an ancestor uh, to make that connection. Uh, with our newborn, with our children, the grandchildren uh, in our communities and in our family, and to be part of this uh, reawakening of the tradition of elders connecting with the children so that we can give them our knowledge and experience to prepare them in this incarnation on the earth plane and to be able to find, to fulfill their purpose for being born back into this particular journey of, of uh, the Earth School. So, again, thank you for tuning in. And um, as always, we end by giving praise and, and homage to the One Most High God, uh, to the ancestors, to my lovely wife, my dear uh, beloved uh, mother-in-law, my children, my daughter and her family, my godsons, and their family, and my siblings, and all of you um, throughout the cyber world and the social network community, family and friends, I, I, I send peace and love, and namaste, shalom, alafia, hetepuhotep, assalamu alaikum, all my relations, peace, love, and abundant blessings to all of you. And may this evening continue to be one of peace and joy, and rest, and may tomorrow be one of the same with prosperity and abundance. <laughs>